Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Boise State Kingdom of Pod. Jeff Caves here for our third podcast get-together as we talk all things Boise State football. I'm still, of course, here live in Fate, Texas, which is 30 miles east of Dallas. Won't be here for much longer. We'll be moving on to Flower Mound, Texas pretty soon. And uh, it'll be different to be right in the middle of uh, DFW and out of the eastern portion of the Dallas Metroplex, if you're familiar with it. So, we look forward to that. All kinds of news in and around Boise State. As I tape this, the football schedule has been released with networks and times. Also details on Chase Cord's injury status through Coach Harson. What he had to say at his most recent press conference and a breakdown of the uh, quarterback position as well. But at the uh, end of the day, the schedule, I think, doesn't really bring many surprises. Yeah, there may be some games on something other than a Saturday evening. There's not as many 8.30 kickoff times. There's certainly some different uh, things to get used to, like how about not being able to go to the game? <laughs> Let's start with that. And uh, Boise State football also you know, back into the Thursday night business with a game against Colorado State. Uh, that's a little bit different, but it's just the beginning. Come on. Uh, from here with COVID, who knows where things get rescheduled, how it works, when it happens. But the bottom line is they're going to be playing, and I really think that's where most of us are at, and it doesn't go much further than that for us if we really want to start uh, analyzing it, if you will. I think that some of us, though, are looking at the, the schedule and are concerned uh, about it. And, and are concerned about the fact that, as of right now, no fans are going to be allowed into Albertson Stadium. And there's not only not going to be any fans allowed in on a limited basis, there's no parents to be allowed right now into Albertson Stadium. And, you know, that's just around the corner. Uh, some things to say about that, of course, and I'll get into that. Plus, uh, the situation here in the Dallas Metroplex with their preps and how they're handling COVID and what's going on with their games. But beyond the schedules news, uh, the biggest news to me was at least Chase Cord's uh, situation. He's, you know, had all kinds of injury situations with the torn ACL. He's had knee problems even before he arrived at Boise State. His redshirt freshman season, there was an issue. Uh, then all kinds of uh, other leg issues, whether it was ankle or leg or and I don't know the status of his shoulder. They're not necessarily going out of their way to tell us about how bad this may or may not be for Chase Cord for understandable reasons. That's just the way it is. They're not going to get into the details of all of that, and, and I'm, nobody's going to argue with him. Uh, I think Cord had all the potential in the world uh, before he was injured. I remember talking to Scott Huff, who's 
now the offensive line coach at the University of Washington. But, you know, Chase came out of Arizona. That's where Scott went to go get him, and he thought he'd be eventual uh, starter at Boise State, had all the faith in the world in him. And I think Boise State did as well because he's such a solid kid with preparation and has some leadership qualities, does not get in trouble, does everything you'd like him to do, but did not necessarily have the best uh, health, and that got in the way. He has a great arm. Um, I can remember conversations uh, with Coach Hill, last year's offensive coordinator, that Chase probably had a better arm than Hank Bachmeyer in some ways. But, you know, all this injury uh, to his body has really ripped the momentum away from him. I think it plays with your mind. He could sit out this year. It's a free year. If they don't, you know, want to rush him back, they're not going to. They've got a change of pace quarterback in Jack Sears. And, you know, really since Rippon was struggling, that's how they've handled things. You know, Montel Cosart riding in on the, the white horse to save the day. You know, Bachmeyer uh, even having that same situation with Jalen Henderson and then how it all played out at the end of the year at the uh, Las Vegas Bowl. But, you know, Jack Sears is the grad transfer from USC. He's got a couple of years to play. Um, he's more of a play-for-keeps guy to me. I think he's got a quiet confidence about him. He, he's got a good pedigree. He can run with the football. Uh, we'll see if he can throw timing routes better than Hank Bachmeyer can. He averaged a little over seven yards a carry at San Clemente High School in Southern California as a quarterback with Good enough stats to get a scholarship to Southern California and USC. But, you know, when he left there, he was fourth string. So we shouldn't get carried away by all of that. He's still a solid potential quarterback who could mature late. I just think it is important that they have a counter to Bachmeyer. Uh, I think that Sears is a little different because he does have some game smarts. He played at a very high-pressure school in USC at the best position and got into a game and, and played, but he sat out a year now. And at, at USC, you know, they're spreading it out, and, and they're not necessarily, Graham Harrell is, is not using running quarterbacks. So uh, he didn't fit there. And the fact that Sears was headed off to San Diego State and didn't end up going there because Rocky Long took off and there was no offensive coordinator at the time. It was kind of up in the, up in the air. And then Brady Hoke, you know, came in and named his offensive coordinator that he brought in, somebody he'd worked with before at uh, Michigan. And they thought that Sears was going to be there, and he committed to them, and he just never showed up on campus. And so Sears wanted the sure thing, and with all the indecision at San Diego State, he ends up uh, here at Boise State. So I think it's a, a great opportunity, and the fact he has two years is even better. You know, I look at Hank, and... I still think Hank needs some maturity to to truly grow into being the leader of the team emotionally and to get their respect in some other ways. Not unusual for a a younger quarterback. It's really more the exception rather than the rule that somebody shows up with leadership qualities like a Kellen Moore, for example. So I'm sure that's just an age thing for Hank. Um, I think he's got to start working and trusting his wide receivers a lot more. And if you listen to what New offensive coordinator Eric Keesaw had to say, you know, he's got to deliver the ball before somebody's open. Uh, I watched all kinds of quarterbacks uh, over the weekend in college football uh, do that. Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma has a great arm, but, you know, he can get it there faster than Hank, but he, he still waits for guys to get open. And 
when we look at offensive lines struggling at times, we, we need to think about that. If the quarterback's holding the ball four, five, six, seven seconds, um, that's too much to ask of your offensive line. You're not trusting the routes. You don't know that this is where you're supposed to put the ball and the wide receiver's supposed to be there. Some of the offseason work that Boise State didn't get, I think hurts Hank uh, and the wide receivers in their rhythm together with Hank Bachmeyer. So um, there's some ground to make up there, and we'll see if Hank just turns the maturity corner and starts throwing uh, to spots. On top of all that, he's got a new offensive line to deal with. Uh, the pass protection could be an interesting situation. If they don't run the ball early in the season well, they're going to have some second and third and longs. They're lucky that Halani's there, but you know Andrew Van Buren, had better be good at picking up the blitz when he's in there, giving Halani a stretch. Nobody knows about Smith. You know, Boise State's first opponent, Utah State, is reloading on defense. Uh, they're not fine-tuned. They're restructuring uh, from a four-man front to a three-man front. They're moving people all over the field to get their best 11 on the field. So they've got some reshuffling to do they're not the same dominant defense that they were in 2018 or the years before all the great linebackers heading into the nfl i'm sure they still have some individual talent uh, but for now they're trying to put it back together so they're a work in progress Uh, as it relates to no fans being allowed into albertson stadium my guest later uh, in the pod will will talk to us about that uh, and, and get into the details about how boise state presents such a tremendous you know, advantage when they play at home. But just remember, you might not be able to hit a football game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Uh, for me, yeah, I look at betting occasionally, and like for this weekend, I like Memphis and the points over Central Florida. I even like Memphis as an outright win at home in that game. But for you, if you're looking for game spreads, totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online and there's always the online casino as well and it never closes so hit betonline.ag that's betonline.ag today take advantage of the sign up bonuses that's betonline.ag your online sports book expert well the gambling advantages to Boise State playing at home I think are out the window it's one of the best home field advantages in all of college football some kids get psyched out by the turf, and for those that don't, then they've got to deal with the crowd noise that just won't be there, and that's too bad. Uh, that's an advantage that I'd like to see Boise State maintain, and they're really going to have to work on this self-motivation. They're not going to get any external motivation, but if I'm circling one thing, uh, that's the biggest challenge for the coaches in the 2020 you know, pandemic season. It's not the off the field organizational stuff because sometimes they've got all the time in the world to deal with that, especially now because they weren't able to do much else. But how do you get a kid, you know, self-motivated when if you look at how things are structured now, everything is focused on a look at me sort of level and social media is all about me and all about look at me and look who's talking about me and and how we've all structured our social media lives so to not have you know any social media while they're on the field i'd be surprised if some coach doesn't change that around and not have any fans to get energized from uh show off for use as intimidation to the opponent uh gain the approval of 36,000 people of that's going to be difficult man that's 
not going to be the same. And I'm sure that's the coaches to me. The biggest challenge is to keep these kids uh, focused. This opener with Utah State, as I taped this, is about 10 days away. Question I hear most frequently, and I think anybody that follows the program asks this question to each other. is like, how's Boise State going to do this year? That's the number one question. Well, we talked about Hank Bachmeyer. Uh, we didn't talk about the wide receivers and Khalid and you know Shakir. And uh, There's plenty of talent back at that position. And George Alani at running back, that all checks out. Yeah, there's a new offensive line to work in. That's nothing to sniff at. They've got key linebackers and Wimpy and Skinner and uh, Kaniho and uh, Dimitri Washington, a emerging star as a pass rusher. Yeah, they've got some new D linemen to work in, but they've got a system in place to operate on offense and defense and special teams and as a group and a team, and that's critical. So I think they're going to have a damn good year. Uh, half the coaches in the Mountain West Conference are new to their team, and Boise State has three of those schools on their schedule in UNLV, Hawaii, and Colorado State. Yeah, they have a very difficult uh, game against BYU, who's shown that they're talented offensively and pretty pretty physical defensively. They've got to go on the road to Air Force, which we'll find out more about Air Force and their game against San Jose State than maybe we found out against a team from Navy who was really struggling. And let's see what kind of health both Boise State and Wyoming have uh, for the last game of the 2020 abbreviated season when they get together in in Laramie in December. It's very difficult to predict that now because if one of these two teams has all kinds of injuries or pandemic issues or or both, then to predict how that game will go now is ridiculous. And if Wyoming's having a struggling season, their quarterback's not settled and you know they're strong on defense but struggle to score points and, and Boise State's not having uh, injury issues and all that, then it's going to be a whole different game. And it usually comes down to that with those two. Uh, so that's how I see it. You know, Air Force and BYU are going to be the rough opponents. And I can say for certainty that if they're not on playing on all cylinders against Air Force or BYU, there's no question they'll get beat bad or they'll lose uh, those football games. So the rest of it I see is injury and motivation. I think the rest of the schedule other than those games, they will all win. And looking at the BYU game, it just made a lot of sense from the conference office perspective. And I think it was a lot of guys in the media pointing it out that when you did the math and you looked at when Boise State was uh, scheduled to have a game against Air Force and Air Force was going to play Army uh, rather than disrupt the other 10 teams in the Mountain West who had games against each other, uh, they decided to let Boise State go ahead and fill the schedule. And, well, BYU had an opening, so it was easy. And so... I look at Boise State 4-3 at the worst, 7-0 at the best, and everything in between is going to be all determined by what we see on the field in terms of injuries, which if you look around college football, injuries, penalties, turnovers, it's been pretty difficult early. I don't expect Boise State to be much different to what degree. I really don't know. Uh, I've also been interested to, to see what's happening here in the Dallas Metroplex with the implosion of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm asked about that frequently. I can tell you that the mood here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is really set by the sports radio people and, and to some degree, the, the digital online folks. Um, the print product is extremely strong here. There's some great reporters who've been here for years with tremendous insight and big personalities, and they influence a lot of people and in how they see this team. Uh, the 
general manager, owner of the team, um, Jerry Jones, is quoted every week on, on talking specifically about the hottest issues of the day around their team. And his son, Stephen, also does radio hits. You know, and then you get Troy Aikman weighing in, the number one color guy on the Fox um, broadcast, and he's weighing in locally. And, and that's how, to me, their opinions get shaped around here. Fans aren't gathering. You know, sports bars aren't loaded up. Bars that don't serve food are barely getting reopened, and that's debatable. So it's really an odd situation. They are letting in fans to AT&T Stadium. There's 25,000 fans. Uh, they're doing as well or better than anybody in the NFL uh, in the NFL and, and that particular area. But, you know, the high schools around here, which we know is a big thing, and our guest coming up, Tom Mason, is going to touch on how important high school football is in Texas, but these high schools are canceling games, uh, even the big games, you know, uh, very difficult situation. Tickets hard to come by. Uh, the capacities are anywhere from 50% uh, empty, uh, allowed or even 25%. So it comes down to seniors and band and cheerleaders and uh, seniors in the uh, school system, and then they get guest tickets. And then if you're just a Joe Bag of Donuts off the street. You got to either go online and wait till everybody goes or go down to the school and go try to buy a ticket. So it's pretty crazy. Um, their strategies here in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area for high school football included letting the smaller division schools go first, hoping that they could get through that somewhat unscathed before they unleashed uh, the big powerhouse schools that have. 3,000 students or 6,000 students if you're Allen High School where Kyler Murray went and everything in between. And, and that backfired because there's already been 55 games in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that's been canceled. And that's pretty difficult. So once the big school started, it, it really went down downhill and um, that's how they're handling it here. They're trying, they're letting fans in, um, but they've had some issues and uh, there are some controversies of how their playoff system is going to work, but I think at the end of the day, people are going to accept uh, what's going on. Uh, as it relates to uh, not Cowboys, you know, uh, attitude in the market, but Cowboys on the field and Kellen Moore, let's look at the stats. Uh, only uh, the Seattle Seahawks have scored more touchdowns in Dallas. They're number one in yards, but now they're going to get tested without uh, Dak Prescott because Kellen took advantage of Dak Prescott's ability to run. Uh, for a key first down or a scramble, uh, even rolling him out. He was always a threat to turn the corner and take off. And, of course, that's not going to happen. Andy Dalton's not that guy. He's more of a pocket guy. And so it really takes the the boot action, the play action, um, even the quarterback design run. Think of how many times Zach or uh, Dak in critical situations would run uh, the zone read option where he'd keep it and go around the end. Well, in, all that's out the window uh, for the Cowboys' offense. It's going to mean more run game with Elliott, but they've struggled there because their offensive line savaged by injury. So pretty interesting to see just how this all works out for the Dallas Cowboys. But that's kind of the update here in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, let me move on, though, to our guest, Tom Mason. And uh, we'll get to Tom. He coached at Boise State with Pokey Allen. He was his defensive coordinator, and then he was the interim coach uh, when Pokey got sick and ultimately ended up um, passing away. And those two years in 95 and 96 were very difficult seasons for Tom personally and for Boise State fans. He ultimately did not get the job at Boise State, moved on, 
uh, coached at Nevada, Fresno, and Hawaii, and El Paso, and many other spots. He was at SMU uh, with June Jones for seven years. Uh, he's had stints in professional football in the Alliance uh, in Memphis, and he was just most recently back with June Jones, leading uh, the XFL at Houston. I think they would have won the league with a tremendous uh, team that they'd put together there. But Tom Mason will talk recruiting with and what it was like to play against Boise State at Fresno State and others. And really an interesting story from Tom on how Bill Clinton, former President Clinton, had a say in a Boise State head coaching hire and why Tom now chooses to live in Idaho again. And we'll talk about where that is after this from Snake River Bull and Spa. Well, even though we moved to Texas, one good thing about being able to do this Boise State podcast is to tell you about Snake River Pool and Spa, somebody I worked with, Kyle and everybody in, in Boise. And when it came time for us to decide what we were going to take with us to Texas and what we were going to leave behind, it was non-negotiable when it came to the hot spring spa. My wife had gotten so used to using those jets as therapy to soothe the muscles, relax, unwind, and it really didn't matter. So we got Snake River Pool and Spa to load it up and we took the spa with us to Texas. So now in our new home in Texas, we have a pool with a spa, but it doesn't really matter because the hot spring spa pushes so much more pulsating jet water and massages and nurtures our bodies. It's not even close. In fact, I bet we don't even use that little spa in the pool because we have a hot spring spa from Snake River Pool and Spa. Hot water therapy is all part of the deal. Make the wellness investment in yourself and do it at Snake River Pool and Spa. Let the spa team show you how to make it easy to take it easy hit the spateam.com call or text 208 hot tubs or stop by a showroom in twin falls boise or meridian today snigger for pool and spa a hot springs hot tub dealer and more be a part of the boise state home team well here we have tom mason what a find we have here on the boise state football podcast a former intern head football coach at boise state now living in in Post Falls after working all over the place, really, Mace. Here you are at this stage in your career, sitting, talking to me and all of us in Post Falls, Idaho. And I want to ask you this, all right? I want to ask you about all the places that you worked, and I'm going to name them. Walla Walla, Cheney, Portland, Boise, Cedar Falls, Iowa, Reno, Scotland, British Columbia, Vegas, Fresno, Dallas or Rockwall, where you lived in Rockwall County, Honolulu, Memphis, and Houston. How did you manage, like, where you were going to live? How many of those spots did you move to? Well, we actually, uh, the move to Dallas was our last move as a family. And we started putting this place together up here in, uh, on the Spokane River in, in uh, Coeur d'Alene about, uh, oh, probably when we were at Boise. And then uh, we started, uh, we would keep this place and then we would rent after we moved out of Rockwell. It was just, uh, I think after that bubble, it scared everybody. And this coaching business got so crazy that you knew it was just a matter of time. So there was no reason to invest in housing and real estate and do all those crazy things. So, you know, you're like a gunslinger. You go in there, you coach until they fire you, and then you go get another job. So that's, that's. That's kind of the way it went. It was it was a little bit wild, but uh, we had some interesting places, and it was a lot of fun. So, so you moved to all those different places. I mean, to work. How many times did the whole family move into every one of those cities that I named out there? Uh, 
probably about 10 times. Um, they were in Boise and then they moved to Reno. They didn't go to Cedar Falls. And then we were uh, from Reno. They went to Fresno when I was in Las Vegas and up at BC. And uh, then when we went to SMU, obviously my daughter was going through high school then in Rockwall. And uh, so they moved to Dallas with us. And then after Dallas, uh, my wife would kind of catch up with me during the season. And other than that, she was kind of in and out. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a different lifestyle. We, uh, my wife's military, ex-military, uh, her family was. So she was used to all that stuff when a guy get deployed for six, six months or whatever. And uh, that's how we kind of handled it. It was like being in the military, I guess. Well, here you are, though, uh, Mace, just to, you know, my, my probably impressions of you and experiences of you are very similar to people that got to know you when you were at Boise. You're a good guy. You're, you, you'll, you'll speak when spoken, but you got something to say. You're happy. Um, how did you ever fall into that lifestyle where you said, you know what, I'm going to live in 12, 10, diff, 12 different places <laughs> over my career? And, or did that just happen where you just kind of rolled with it because you love football so much? I think that was more of it than anything. I just love coaching football. And, you know, I wasn't ready to retire, and I'm still not ready to retire. I'll be back in that XFL when they get that up and going again, if not in the NFL after this season. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of – I enjoy being around the kids still. I like the game plan. I like the, the game. Uh, even though I'm getting up there in years, I still feel like I'm 40. So, uh you know, it's just uh, it's been a lifestyle, and I've loved every minute of it. It's been it's been a fun ride, and you know, we've seen some great places and uh, lived in some great cities, and and it's really been quite an educational experience, if anything. Yeah, well, I've learned myself. Uh, I was in Boise a long time, and here I am in in Dallas, kind of learning different things, and it is great. And thinking, of, speaking of learning, you know. We know you here as a defensive coordinator, and you always worked with linebackers, and then you're the interim head coach when Pokey got sick. And we'll talk about that in a second, Mace. But you've coached defense your entire coaching career, from Walla Walla all the way to Houston, where you guys were great in the XFL. You had one spot along the way where you coached offense, wide receivers coach in the CFL at, at BC. How did that go, and how did that happen? Well, I was actually coaching in that NFL Europe and uh, one of the Canadian head coaches saw me coaching and he said, Hey, we need a wide receiver coach. And yeah, you know, that, uh, and I was coaching actually with Jim Kreiner and with the Claymores and, and Jim told me, Hey, you need to take that Canadian job because that's going to pay something. He said, that job I've got is only going to pay about a 10,000 in your, and you're back home. So uh, Monzi came to me and, uh, and so I went up there and he said, you're going to be the wide receiver coach, which I knew absolutely nothing about. <laughs> so, uh, so I went up there and I was worked with two really good guys, Joe Popow and Connie Kawhi. And, uh, we just made it work. And, uh, Adam Rita is another name from around that Adam was up there. So I spent a lot of time with Adam learning the wide receiver stuff and, and then mainly what I did is I coached uh, the defensive part to the offensive coaches. This is how they're going to attack us. This is where we need to attack them. And uh, it really worked out really well. And, and I enjoyed my time up there. That was, a, that was a great run. How much did it help you, Mace, when you worked with your receivers on, you know, not getting jammed at the line? And Canada is such a different game, though, in terms of they give them freedom to run. They're in motion. That must have given right. the 
defensive coordinators and coaches fits, but here you were coaching offense, and it's such a difference in the rules of the game, right? Yeah, and it was uh, the Canadian League, like you said, was so wide open. You could put four guys in motion at once, and you know, I, I think in some ways I helped uh, uh, the offensive coordinator in the fact that hey, this is how the defense is going to try to react to that, and then. You know, what it did for me as a coach is it made me realize I thought those guys over on the other side were a bunch of geniuses. And I found out they're just average guys that had the same problems we had on defense. So it really <laughs> simplified the game for me. You, do you, is that accurate in most of your stops? Uh, do you think that people perceive that the offensive guys are the geniuses and the defensive people are just reacting to what the offensive guys do? Is that kind of the reputation? Yeah, I think that's the way it, it's always been in college, you know, in football, especially college football. Uh, the offensive guys are supposed to be the smart guys, and the defensive guys they just react and try to get lined up and do what the offense does. And what I found out is the, the offensive guys got the same problems we had on defense. So, you know, that it's uh, a little bit uh, was a little bit uh, of an education as far as me learning that hey, they're not all that smart over there either. So, yeah, it was it was fun. Visiting with Tom Mason, who was an interim head football coach at Boise State here on the Believe Podcast Network talking, we'll get to Boise State football. But I remember one thing you told me, Mason, a long time ago, I thought was, I used it, frankly, as I studied football with other coaches. You were the defensive coordinator for June Jones. The longest stint was at SMU when you were there for, what, seven years? Like two thousand seven and a half years, yeah. That's set like 2018, and you, you took over at the end. Um, yeah. But you told me in working with Jude, he was the – tell me if I'm accurate, favorite guy for you to work with. And, and, and the, one of the biggest reasons was he just said, you know what, I don't care how you get me the ball back. You can, you can bring 11 guys. Go empty. I don't care what you do. Just get me the ball back. Whatever you have to do, and if, even if they score, I don't care. We need more possessions because we'll win. Oh, yeah. That was that's June's philosophy, and that that was one of the reasons I got back into football when he got that job at Houston in the XFL. Is he's unreal to work for, and uh, he don't he just leaves you alone. Him and I'd have breakfast at six in the morning in, in Houston, and then uh, you know we'd just go about our business. And his whole philosophy was get me the ball and I'll score, and you bless them as many times as you want. I think there was one game when I was at SMU, I blitzed the team seventy two times, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, out of probably 80 snaps. So, I mean, it was it was wild, and we were pretty good on defense back then, too. How did you manage it, though, Mace, where the reverse is true? He's a quick strike offense, a lot of island play in terms of getting guys out one-on-one and breaking tackles and scoring, where your defense was on the field a lot, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's games. We played Tech one time, Texas Tech, and we had 108 snaps on defense. <laughs> and... uh I mean, that's just the way it is. A lot of guys can't work for guys like that because they want to get their ego involved and worry about, oh, if we take more than 70 snaps, we're going to be wore out and all that. Well, June and I, I understood what he, where he was coming from, and, and it was like, hey, we're just going to play. And, and uh, if you take 100 snaps, you know, I always tell the guys, hey, you're always bitching about we don't have a – you know, I'm not getting enough reps. Well, you're getting plenty of reps when you're playing a defense with a June Jones offense. So, uh, <laughs> hey. One time there was 18 seconds off the clock, and uh, that's just the way it was. So, you know, I, hey, it was fun. I, I still, you know, think he, him and Pokey were the two best guys I ever worked for. They were awesome. 
Well, that's where a lot of people became familiar with you that are listening to this, Mace, is with all the things that happened with Pokey. We know the magic carpet ride in, in 94 and and then the illness, and then you had to take over for your best friend and then watch him pass away. And it's been it's been long, of course, since Pokey passed away, but I know coaches never forget. What do you – when he comes into your mind, you know, what do you think of, of Pokey and how he touched you? Oh, uh, I think he gave me an attitude of, you know, if it's not fun, let's not do it. And, uh, you know, he was one of the smartest guys I was ever around. Uh, people don't realize he was really smart. He came across kind of, you know, laid back, loosey-goosey type guy, but he was very intelligent. And one of the things I really learned from him is uh, in your coaching is it put the hands of your team in the good kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, there's going to be, 30% of your kids are going to be your leaders and they can either go one way or the other. But if your leaders are leading, right, you know, you're going to have a good football team and, and make sure that those kids that are good, solid kids are the, are the leaders of your team manipulate it that way. So that, and that, that other 60% will fall in line behind them. And, you know, you look at his, his record, his win loss record is, is as good as anybody that was really around. If he hadn't died, who knows where he'd be right. I mean, he was unreal as a head coach. I've been through a lot of head coaches, believe me. So, uh, <laughs> that I read that resume. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I, I did. That's what I think of him. And what a great guy to be around. If there wasn't a room that he walked in that he wasn't. I mean, everybody in the room all of a sudden gravitated towards him. You know, he had that charisma to him, and and uh, people liked him, and and he was fun. So Mace, going back to when you had a chance to interview for that job, you know. It was in 96 going into the 97 season. And I remember that you really felt like, you know, I know the players wanted you. I'm sure a lot of boosters wanted you to stay on. Um, Boise he took just, you know, a couple of years really to get up to speed. And then by 99, they've never really looked back. Did you have a sense that was growing and it could be done there? And what were your thoughts about not getting that gig at that time? Well, I, th- I thought it was, it was going to happen there, and I thought it was going to be a two- to three-year turnaround because when we took that program over, uh, I think it was 92, uh, it was down, and we had to get to recruiting right. And we got to recruiting right, and then you know we made that 94 run for the national championship, and if we hadn't had the wrong injuries, we probably would have won that game. But then we had to turn around because we did it with junior college kids. I remember – Blamire uh, after that first year came in and said, Hey, I want you guys to do a ride, do it with high school kids. We're going to be patient with you guys. And, you know, Pokey was pretty uh, perceptive. He said, they're not going to give us time. He said, go out and get the most junior college kids. We found, we put 25 JC kids in that after that first season. That's exactly. So, yeah. So then we knew we had to turn over those JC kids and go with high school and, and uh, uh, there was a deal I did for Stephen Dodge in the, in the Statesman down there where I said, hey, by I think it was uh, 1999, or we would win the conference championship because there was a really good group of freshmen in that group. We registered a lot of those kids. And uh, I think that's the year they won the conference. So yeah. it was a matter of just spacing it out. And you're always going to have a chance to win when you're in Boise. I mean, I've been in a lot of places, and, and that's one of the hardest places in the world to win a play. And then, uh, you know, I didn't ever really feel like I was going to get a chance to be the head coach there. You know, I just felt like they were looking for something else. Uh, 
you know, and then when Houston came in, that was a big splash name. And, and, uh, you know, he had Bill Clinton calling for him and, you know, hell, I, I don't know who I had call for me, but I know it wasn't Bill Clinton. And so yeah, they, they, they shot a lot better shots than I shot. So, yeah, you know, I'm hanging there just trying to be a, a good guy and a, and a, you know, a Northwest guy, Idaho guy. And, and here comes Bill, you know, Bill Clinton calling for Houston nut. And, and I'm like, Whoa. So yeah, I just thought, hell, I get the interview experience, and that—that that was about all I really got out of that. Boy, I'd love to have that program, though. Mace, you—you uh, you really moved on, and and you dealt really with with Boise um, at, at the longest stretch as a a coach at Fresno State, and I think Danny Brown, a former Boise State linebacker, was with you for some of that time. I know Coach Hill was there a lot of that time um, with you, but you tangled as a defensive coordinator with Hawk as the head coach and really for the longest stretch of time as Peterson was the offensive coordinator. I know you guys took it to him one year, the other years it was rough, but what was the keys and, you know, what what are your memories of like, okay, we got Boise week, here's what we got to do? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was if you had him at home, you had a shot at him because uh, they didn't, Going in to play Boise on that blue turf was an experience. And not a lot of guys understood that that hadn't been there. Like Pat, one time we go in there and it was late October, 31 degrees, 32 degrees, it was raining, it was cold. <laughs> and the night be- before we got in there, I said, Pat, we got to get on that blue turf and just at least walk through. Because for some reason, those kids walk on that blue turf and they're like, wow, this is something. And, and they don't play well. And, uh, you know, we felt that all the time. Um, I thought, you know, Peterson's teams were probably as well coached as any team in the country. Same thing with Hawk. Those kids, we were always marveled at the level of, uh, of uh, you know, the play that they could do. They were consistent. They made plays. They, they didn't screw themselves up. Uh, to beat them, you had to be real sound. You know, he was shifting those tight ends and those fullbacks. And I always caught a lot of smoke and mirrors. But he did all that stuff, and uh, you couldn't get real complicated with him. And I think the years we had some success against him, uh, we didn't shift the, or we didn't move the defense at all. We played about three or four base defenses and maybe had a couple blitzes, and that was it. Mm-hmm. But they, they were so efficient on offense. Uh, it was uncanny. We tried to send guys in there to figure out what the hell they were doing. You know, high school coaches, we knew stuff like that, figure out how they were doing all this stuff but uh yeah they just did a nice job of coaching those guys i mean they were really hard to defend one thing and you've you've recruited against boise for many many years you were at nevada hawaii fresno smu even i'm sure in spots and i remember pat hill one time telling me tom that nobody gets players like boise and that maybe there wasn't enough attention because really by reputation, if you go into the late 90s and 2000s, nobody got guys like Fresno. Remember when that was the case? In fact, I bet you went down there with a pokey team and played Fresno, and you're like, these guys are on a different planet. And yeah. do you think that's accurate, that Boise really was a little underappreciated because they got dudes? Oh, yeah. I think Boise did a great job of evaluating those guys, and that was one of the strengths that I had, I felt like, or we had when I was with pokey, is that we could get – that guy that not a lot of people were recruiting and that kid ended up being a great football player. And I think that's what kind of what Boise did is they came into Northern Cal. I remember uh, that running back out of St. Mary's, I think he's Martin. 
Martin, yeah? Yeah, I mean, nobody's really recruiting Martin. And and that was a lot of the guys they were recruiting. Nobody's really recruiting. A couple of them kids, I said, well, oh, man, I don't know what they see in this kid, but those kids were all good football players. And they, they didn't get caught up in the height and the size and, and that. And those kids end up being great players. And, you know, I think as Boise got better, they got a different level of kid as far as I don't get too caught up in that stars crap. But, uh, you know, uh, I think Boise pretty much did it taking good football players and that ended up being uh, great football players once they were two years into the program and stuff. And they did it right. I mean, the, those kids went through that program four years. Uh, you know, that uh, Hendricks kid, I remember recruiting against them with him. Uh, there was a lot of those kids out of Northern California that it was, we looked at them and they were, you know, they were, might've been a second scholarship kid for us. We lost somebody else at Fresno and all of a sudden they're going to Boise, the two kids at Elko. I tried like heck to get those kids. Uh, I think I was at Reno then. And Bobby Milligan was the head coach. I played with Bobby and uh, we looked at those two kids and, and God, I thought we should have jumped all over them, but they end up going to Boise and having great careers. So uh, yeah, the Cash yeah. twins, I think. Those yeah. Kids out of Elko. Oh yeah. yeah so they just did a great job of evaluating and they did a great job once they got those kids of developing them. You know what? You know? I remember Mason. I don't know. I have to go back and check. Were you there playing against Dinwiddie when Dinwiddie was at Boise state? Yeah. He yep. A thing for Fresno. Did you guys not recruit him or something? Because he, <laughs> he had a... oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We looked at him, looked at him hard. And, uh, you know, I think Pat might've offered him a walk on or something like that. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I knew his dad and and all that stuff, but right. yeah, it's the same thing with Moore when he was at Fresno. He he was out of Prosser, and I I knew his dad real well because I used to bring him down to the camp when we were at uh, Boise, and we looked at him at Fresno, and we we're like, ah, yeah, he's pretty good, but eh, I don't know, and you know, we him hot, and he ended up going to Boise, and yeah, he wasn't a bad quarterback either. Now, <laughs> well, you can laugh now because that's the business that that you're in, but when it comes to Fresno, Mace, you were there, I think, almost at the heyday where I thought yeah. had that community going and he was a fundraising fool. There was wealth in the area that was being invested in Bulldog football. I thought it was a program for Boise to emulate in the support of the ag community. And it really seems to me to have changed do you know much about where the resources have gone? Why it's not the same? I'm not real sure on that because when I left uh, Fresno to go to SMU, uh, that program was really rolling, and and we kind of fell off a little bit, I guess. After uh, we, there was three or four coaches that did a lot of good recruiting there, and uh, there was Tim Simons. He was the old coach out of Clovis High, and he knew everybody in the valley, and then. Of course, uh, Kerry Lachlan was doing a good job recruiting down in L.A. And, and we were getting the right kids, but somehow – and I think, you know, part of the problem, too, as I look back on it is, as a coach, you can be at a place too long. Mm -hmm. People get complacent with you as a head coach, and pretty soon they think that the grass is always greener, so let's go get a different head coach. Or if you have a down year, they turn on you. And uh, I think Pat had a couple of down years there, and, and they kind of were ready for a change, which – yeah, I, I've been one of those guys that I believe you can keep your coaching staff intact and and uh, you're going to have a lot more success. Uh, I go back when I was a poker. We didn't have coaching change in nine years and on the whole staff. So, 
Uh, that's why I think we were as good as we were. So uh, it's it was a combination of a few things. I think the boosters were getting tired of Pat, and you know they thought somebody else could come in there and do a better job, and they just got complacent with the program. Yeah. So you end up at SMU. Uh, Boise State was with a with SMU and. The old whack days when there was a lot of teams in the conference, but you spent yeah. a lot of time there with with Coach Jones. I think it would have been well. You went to Hawaii after SMU, which would have been your last college stop, and then you went to the uh, uh, other other leagues and and just ended up with the X at Houston. But when it comes to SMU, they've they they wanted to get back in the Big Twelve Mace while you were there and 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 take a spot and and get back in there. And of course the you know the, the Texas A&M was filled by West Virginia and others. It wasn't SMU. And then they ended up leaving Conference USA for the American. So what's your uh, what's your thoughts on the culture there at SMU and what they want to do with that program? Well, I think they, you know, they want to compete at the highest level. You know, they want to back to the days of Pony Express when they were playing for national championships. And, uh you know, that death penalty really set them back after they took that. And uh, I think the part of the thing in Texas is is Texas rules Texas. Texas football rules Texas. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Texas wanted a big school in Dallas or a big school in Houston to really get going. And I think that the powers to be in the state of Texas have put the uh, – you know, kept the University of Houston down, who I think is a really good program. I think they've kept SMU down. Uh, the one that really – uh, took off is TCU. And uh, I think they didn't want SMU because they have the, the money, they have the political clout and stuff to really make that a, a top-notch program if it could ever get going. So uh, I think there was a lot of decisions in the Big 12 to keep SMU out of it because my thoughts at that time were you put SMU in Houston in the, in the Big 12, you got a good conference there. And you got a lot of places where the fans can get in a car and be there in four hours. So they'll fill those stadiums. And mm-hmm. it was an interesting times at that time because of the, all the structure of change in college football. Tom, you spent so much time there in Texas and you're a guy from Montana and you spent all that time in the Northwest and yeah, you had a stop off in Cedar uh, in North, Northern Iowa, but <laughs> 13 months self <laughs> apparently. But when it comes to recruiting the DFW area where Boise State's come in for kids, you had a bunch of kids in from SMU. What's the key there? I mean, how how hard is it to get kids to get out of there? I think it's hard because I think it's real hard. Um, the Texas kids love to stay in Texas. Um, you, can, you can go in like as a Boise State, and if you do a good job of really evaluating it, there's a lot of talent there because, you know, like you know, being around Texas, uh, Texas high school football is as good as anywhere in the country, and it's important to those people. But I think if you can go in and and target the right positions and you target the right kids, you know, you can, instead of a kid going to UTEP, which, you know, I was out there for two years or – you know, one of the one double A schools there in, in Texas, they'll go to Boise State because Boise's got a big enough name now that they'll go to the to that school. But uh, I think it's extremely hard because the way I always looked at it is the SEC and the Big 12 are going to come in. They're going to hand pick the top kids right off the top. So you're wasting your time recruiting those kids. And then, uh, 
you know, you're going to fight over the rest of them. And, you know, boys will get three or four kids that will be good football players out of there, but they got to recruit the right kid. And, uh, you know, the kids that I see them getting are the kids from that North Texas area that, uh, oh, up around McKinney, uh, Plano, up through that area. It seemed like that was the area they got most of their kids at the outskirts of the Metroplex. And, uh, you know, the other thing is those Texas kids, a lot of times, and we may, and I, that's why SMU's having the success they had, and uh, we started going that direction a little bit, is you get those grad transfers coming back or those kids that go to Michigan and all of a sudden there's six inches of snow and they've never seen snow in their life. <laughs> it's like, hey, I need to get back to Dallas. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I got a lot of answers of kids coming back and wanting to come back. So, um it's hard to keep them once you get them, especially if you're in a cold weather place, but Boise is kind of a mild climate. So you don't have that big a problem. So like I said, if they recruit the right kid, I think they can have some success in there. They're just not going to get the top level kid. So Mace, um, let's talk about the, the last stop that you had. The XFL in Houston was dominating this league. Tremendous football. I thought you guys put together a great program very difficult team to beat. Great quarterback. June running things. Uh, and then the the, the the plug is pulled on the league. How, how did that all come down to you, and how do you think it was going when this all came down? Oh, I thought it was really going well. Uh, that was the third. I was in the AAF before that in Memphis, and then I was in the first XFL in, uh, in uh, Las Vegas. And to me, it's a uh, – if. The mistake most of those teams, those leagues make is they try to compete with the uh, NFL, and and this this was the first time the XFL I thought did it right. They took the kids that weren't capable or weren't in the NFL, but they were close to being capable of playing. They were going to let those kids out of contract to to go play in the NFL if they were capable of doing that. And uh, I think they did a great job of marketing as a, a spring league. Um, I think we're at a point in society where we need TV or football type sports in the spring. And we're also running it pretty close to where you've got a, uh, a niche in football or in sports at that time. Cause in February, March madness is not going, uh, you know, basketball is probably into their 50th or 60th game and nobody really cares until the playoffs and, you know, baseball is not going yet. And, and then the gambling part of it, I mean, let's let's face reality. There's a lot of sports gambling and a lot of those uh, fantasy leagues going at that time. People like doing that stuff. So I think there's a real niche for it, and I thought we were on the right track, but the COVID hadn't hit. I'm not sure we wouldn't have ran the table. We felt like if we'd have beat New York in the next game, that we would have uh, probably ran the table been the champions of that league that year. So um, it's too bad, but uh, – Hey, that's sports. Well, yeah, and you're you're wetting lines and post falls now. I don't see you too over concerned, <laughs> but yet you mentioned you want to get back to it. So, what's next for you, Mace? How, how, after all these years, and you've been coaching what forty some years? Yeah, this be I've been forty four years now, so I've, I've been in a long time. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just going to take it day to day. They had called me and wanted me to go to that spring league uh, last week. I won down in San Antonio for a month. And you know, with the situation around with the COVID stuff, I wasn't too interested in that. So I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens in the XFL. I've got some feelers in the NFL that are pretty, pretty positive. So, you know, there are going to be some major coaching changes in that again, like always. And, uh, 
you know, and, and the right college job came around, I might even do that. But it's got to be the right situation for the right guys. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm still kind of open. I think I got six, seven good years left before I'm really ready to catch all those fish down on the clear water and on the snake. Cause, but I did have fun doing that. So, yeah. yeah. Say, after all these stops, Mason, and I don't want to get into your private business all the way, but. You've coached at some places that could de- easily were paying you several six-figure numbers. Can you relax? In other words, do you really have to go out and start selling insurance right now, or can you wait and, and be selective? Or how, how has it worked after all these years? Well, you know, I don't have to work. I mean, I, 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 I'm, that's one of those things. That's why I'm real careful who I go to work for. And uh, it, it, if you're really a good football coach, it's not about the money. You know, it really isn't. It's about being there with the kids and the camaraderie of it. And uh, I think any coach will tell you that. Uh, it gets down to the point where uh, I'm too hyper. I can't – I'm not good at sitting in a chair and, and doing nothing. And, you know, about three days of fishing a week is plenty. And, you know, my golf game's horrible, so uh, not a big – proponent of that and some of them Boise people tell you that too that I couldn't play golf so I think some of them still got some of my money but uh yeah that's just one of those things uh if the right situation comes and I'm sure it will it always does uh, I'll be coaching again probably next spring for sure and and uh you know I'll go until until I don't like being around the players and the and the, and the coaches but you were good enough with your money along the way you didn't you were good enough with it you took care of some of it right life was on you or or because <laughs> because coaches can have a lot of money go through their hands and and you don't even have time to spend it is how i always looked at it so unless you completely wasted it i always wondered how do a coach really spend money because they don't do much right and it, it's about being smart you know being a smart with your money investing it right you know and uh you know, the real estate thing, you, you had to, everybody was doing buying houses and stuff early when I was coaching. And, you know, after that real estate bubble, you wanted to stay out of that. And, uh, and you just invested well and, and let that money sit and grow. And that's one of the mistakes a lot of young coaches make. And the thing that I was always fortunate about is I stayed at places long enough that I could get vested in the state retirement. Oh. It's like Idaho. Uh, I'm, I'm was there five and a half years and he'd be there five of Fresno uh, retired in the state of California. And, uh, you know, if you stay there long, a lot of guys jump every two years and, and that's a mistake. You need to, you need to stay as long as you can until they give you an opportunity to seek employment elsewhere. So yeah, <laughs> I, I just stayed. Yeah. Unless I'm wrong. Will you pull retirement out of Texas? But that's a private school, right? Right. That was a private school. So yeah, no, it was, but that was a, a really good retirement system they had there, you know, and a lot of that stuff, if you do it right, you can put it in the right place like TA craft and the places that follow you when you're coaching the university. So you just keep, you be smart with your money. That's the thing, you yeah. know, and you do that. You're all right. That's great. Well, yeah, you're sitting there fishing and I'm sitting there talking to you. So uh, <laughs> it's good to catch up with you. Uh, Mace. That- yeah. Look great. I can verify that for everybody. So I appreciate you joining us here. Oh, yeah. It's been fun. appreciate talking to you, Jeff. And tell everybody in Boise hi. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I just stopped the recording, Mace. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so no problem. Everything's good. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. fun.
Dude, I, <laughs> I think you coaches, I, th- I you've had a great life, Mace. I wouldn't lay oh, any different, man. Yeah. Way to see the country, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I live in great places and, you know, we still argue back and forth. My wife and I, she liked Portland. I like Boise. It's the two best places we live, but right? you know, every place had a little niche to it that you kind of enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was, it was good. I mean, I, I really liked Dallas for the most part, except there was no uh, real outdoors activities to do, you know, you didn't fish the, for the bass and all that and catfish or. Yeah, I did, but that's really, yeah, I mean, that's, it was okay. Yeah. Fishing was, wasn't that good unless you got on private uh, ponds and stuff, which we did, but. Uh, you needed strength, right? You like stream fishing? Yeah, I like stream fishing. I like the tra- the trout, salmon type stuff. Walleye. Now I got big into the walleye up here with the uh, with that kind of stuff. So yeah, you want stuff moving. Sometimes that lake or reservoir fishing. I don't know. You're just sitting there. <laughs> yeah, I call it. Yeah, that's one of the deals where you sit and you throw the line and you drink beer. So I can I can go drink beer at home. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good seeing you, man. Appreciate it very much. And uh, yeah. All right. Great catching up with Tom Mason. That's it for this week's Believe in Bronco Football Kingdom of Pod. Next week, breakdown of Utah State as we get the 2020 season underway. Please subscribe to the pod so you can get it available to download, be delivered to you, or you can send me an email so I can add you to an email reminder list until you get the hang of all the downloads and podcasting so thanks to snake river pool and spot don't forget all your reviews are welcome as well uh all as are you for listening uh editing by wyatt huskins appreciate that plus alex and his engineering and dan leibowitz on music and of course my guest tom mason here on the believe podcast network without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.